The Bible tells us something in Psalms, chapter 134. It reads this way, Behold, bless ye the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. The Lord that made heaven and earth Bless thee out of Zion. 135 says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the name of the Lord. Praise him, O ye servants of the Lord. Ye that stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises unto his name, for it is pleasant. And I believe that we've been able to worship the Lord this morning through song and I appreciate the heart and the spirit that has been involved in putting the service together this morning and I'm so thankful for a people that wants to I believe grow in the things of God and I know that there are there may be some that would uh may raise their hand or not raise their hand. That wasn't the point of it. The point was to just show what Scripture has to say and for us as a a church to make sure that we follow Scripture and that we are singing to praise the Lord. I would encourage you really. One of the reasons why I like, I love the old hymns. I really do. Um, One of my favorites is How Great Thou Art. There's nothing like singing that song. I mean, I just love that song with good accompaniment. And sometimes just a cappella. I like it. I like it both ways. But the one thing that I do like about new songs is that it makes us think about the words. Because we're like, oh, I, I, I don't know. Or a new tune, you know, like Amazing Grace. That, that's a newer tune. It's not really new, but it's a newer tune. And as long as... Uh, our music is doctrinally sound and it points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what's key. Um, uh, I, don't think that, I don't think music ought to, be, ought to be focused on us. It needs to be focused on the Lord and what He's done in our hearts and our lives. All right, you're comfortable now? Now I'd like you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Figure I'd give you time because he set you and figure I'd give you time to, to just settle in a little bit and I'm going to have you stand. I think it's important to stand. The Bible talks about that, about standing for the reading of the Word of God. And uh, now if a man doesn't have you stand when you read the Word of God, I'm not criticizing that man, but it does. It gives us a reverence for the Word of God. Just like we worship the Lord through and honor the Lord through music like we've just done and through giving. This is a way to honor and worship the Lord. In reverence, we stand for reading of the Word of God. We we have a respect for uh, the Word of God. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 6, if you would. And we're going to take a look at our last message. You made it through. Our last message on stewardship. This is it. And uh, at least for this week. No, I'm kidding. This is our, our last message on stewardship for a little while anyway. And, uh, but we're going to take a look at this morning. Stewardship is giving. 
Stewardship is giving. And I want us to take a look at Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 38. Verses 27 through 38. Stewardship is giving. The Bible says in Luke chapter 6 and verse 27, But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies and do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee. And of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity we have to be able to be here this morning. And I do pray, Lord, that you would help us to take Bible principles and apply them to our lives. And Lord, I thank you for uh, all that you've been doing at Open Bible. I thank you for um, the work that you've been doing in the hearts and the lives of people. And Lord, I pray that your grace would work in and through me. I ask, Lord, that you would, that you would be the one that's honored and glorified. I ask, Lord, that we would learn some biblical principles and be better Christians because of it. And, Lord, if there is one here this morning that does not know you, I pray that they would come to know you. And I ask, Father, that, uh, that their lives would be changed. We ask you for it. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There are five, type of, five types of people in this room when it comes to giving. There are five types. And each one of us falls in a certain category. Let, let me give you those five types of, of, of uh, givers in the room this morning. You might want to write this down. Number one, there's the non-giver. The non-giver. Now, if you're a guest, again, I told you I don't expect you to give. We really don't. Um, though, if you wanted to make a donation of a million dollars, we would happily accept that. Yeah. So there's the non-giver. Number two is the first-time giver. There's a first-time giver. That's somebody who's 
the first time they've ever given anything, they just, they just drop that in the plate. And there might be some of you in here. Thirdly, the third type of giver is the regular giver. They're the ones who may put in 20 or 30 bucks every week and, and give to God. So they're a regular giver. They do something every week. The fourth type of giver is the tither. The tither. That's the type of person that uh, knows what the Bible says and takes at least 10% of their, of their income and gives it to God. And this month or uh, throughout January and now into February, we've been asking God's people to pray about increasing your tithe by 5%. Me and my wife, we've already done it. If you have not done it, today is the day, okay? So next Sunday, you make that decision, you come in. Uh, if you have the reoccurring, you go into the, the uh, subsplash and you, you up that. We've already done that. We, we did it a couple weeks ago. We, we took care of that. something that if I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to do myself. So there's the tither. And then, number five, there's the sacrificial giver. Or what we would call the extravagant giver. One who gives far and above their tithe. See, I personally believe that for a Christian, the tithe is just the, the beginning point. And again, me and my wife, we would never ask you to do anything that we're not willing to do ourselves. But that's the five, type of, uh, five types of givers that are in this room today. We, we all fall into one of those categories. My question for you is, which category do you fall into? Where, where do you fit in this morning in that giving aspect? And it's not to make you feel guilty. I want to, to be honest with you, I'd like to, as your pastor, I'm going to just be very upfront. I would like to move you from where you are to the next level. To, to be able to help cultivate spiritual growth in your life. That's all. This isn't a fundraiser, as I told you before. This, this isn't to benefit the church. Though, will it benefit the church? Yes, okay? Let's just face the facts. It will. But that's not the point of this. The point is for us to grow in our faith. Very, li very, very little in America, American Christians, do we, do we have the opportunity to grow in faith? Uh, we, the very little in America do we really have to sacrifice. See, ask yourself this morning, where am I on that list? Where's my family? See, giving is good. I, I want us to be a, a generous church. I want us to be known for generosity. I, I don't want our, our church to be known for being stingy. You know, I heard of a church that, uh, that uh, had donuts out for their guests. They had coffee and donuts out for their guests. And to be able to cut costs, they cut the donuts in quarters and put little toothpicks in them. I'm like, what? That's not showing your guests that you're generous, that you, ser you serve a God that is a giving God, right? I mean, that, that's, no. Uh-uh. I'd rather have everybody go home with a, a whole dozen donuts than a little quarter, you know? I always tell the people with working with the food, I'm like, look, I know we want to get a good count, but please make sure there is more than enough food. I don't ever want us to run out. Anyway, if we ever did run out, I blame it on you for not signing up because you guys are horrible about signing up. <laughs> 
But I do. I tell them all the time. And they always reassure me. They're like, Pastor, it's okay. We got plenty of food. But I want to be known as a generous church. See, giving is good. It's right. And it's biblical. But I want you to understand something this morning. You can give without loving. But you cannot love without giving. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. See, love really is the foundation for our stewardship. See, when you love somebody, what do you do? You make them a priority in their life. Now, I don't know if this idiot loves my daughter or not. Make sure you're getting this on Facebook Live, too, so his parents can see it and everything. But this guy lives in Virginia. Actually, he's a really good guy. Don't tell him I said that because he might think that he's got an edge on me. He really is. He's a good guy. And I, I, he loves the Lord. But this guy lives in Virginia. Tuesday night, I heard. I was in Las Vegas. And I, I heard, well, Tim's coming up. For what? Well, he's going to play basketball, but he hurt. He got hurt. He was snowboarding, and he got hurt. So he can't play basketball. I said, well, then why is he coming up? <laughs> oh, to see McKenzie. Oh, is he? He does realize that there's a curfew, and he's got to be out of there by 11 o'clock, and then he's got another three-hour drive home. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> Give that guy's tithe back, all right? And then, oh, okay, well, that's fine. He came up on Thursday. I guess he wanted to see my face that I got back from Las Vegas. He was happy to see me. He came up on Friday. His parents, his parents live in, in Ben Salem. Had to, see, had to get up, or went, drove back to Ben Salem. Got up in the morning came and picked her up for work to get her her coffee, take her to work. This is sickening. <laughs> Spent all day with her, came to church with her today. Why, why do I say all that? <laughs> when you love somebody, you make them a priority, right? That's what you do. You, you'll do things. You'll go out of the way for someone. You will put yourself. You'll sacrifice. You'll sacrifice sleep, gas, money, you know. Why? Because that person's a priority in your life. See, when you love someone, you will do whatever it takes to meet their needs and wants, if it's all possible. And one of the best-known verses in the Bible is John chapter 3 and verse 16, right? For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave. gave. See, I don't think it's possible to separate love and giving. Because love always gives. Listen, true love doesn't take. True love gives. Amen. True love doesn't hold back. True love doesn't live selfishly. True love gives. And when the Bible describes the love which motivates the believer in their service to Christ, it uses a specific word, and that word is agape. 
And agape love can be defined this way. It's defined in, in terms of only action of giving. If you look up the word agape and you study it out, it's always the action of giving. It's a love that God has. And its primary object is not related to impulses or emotions. But its primary object is related to will. See, in the, the scriptures, the word agape is often pictured as a voluntary course of action contrary to what feelings would dictate. See, that's why the Bible commands us to love one another. Sometimes you don't feel like loving one another in this place, don't you? Come on, let's get on. I hear it all eventually. <laughs> but you're like, well, I don't like that person. I, don't, I, I can't believe... I, See, your feelings are telling you one thing. That person hurt me. That person disappointed me. But God's saying the kind of love that we're supposed to have one for another is going to override the will. See, and too many people have the idea that our giving has to do with one's financial state. Giving does not have to do with one's financial state. Giving has to do with our love relationship to God. Giving is not about finances. Giving is about love. See, your giving is not measured by the amount, but by the sacrifice. The widow who only gave two mites, Jesus said what? She gave more than anybody else. And I want you to remember this this morning. I want you to, this is going to be the take home for you. Love is the foundation for stewardship. There are two specific elements mentioned in this passage about Christian giving. One is the character of giving, and the other is the spirit of giving. I want you to take a look first at the character of giving. Number one, if you're taking notes, the character of giving. It's found in, in uh, uh, this whole text, really. The Bible tells us that the very nature of God is love. The Bible says what? That God is love. And it's expected that the same kind of love should be a part of every Christian's character. I want you to turn over to the book of 1 John. Not the Gospel of John, but 1 John. If you're a new Christian, that's towards the back of the Bible, the book of the Revelation, okay? And if you're not quite sure where that's at, or if uh, you've never memorized the books of the Bible, that's what that front part in the Bible's for. You can look up exactly uh, where it is, and don't be ashamed to do that. That's what it's there for, okay? Um, some people memorize the books of the Bible. Some have it, and doesn't make you a better Christian than somebody else. But uh, you use this context here, and it'll tell you the exact page where you can find it, okay? So 1 John chapter 4, and take a look at verse 8, if you would. John the Apostle, who was the disciple of love, reminds his reader of the nature of God here and also that the love that every believer is supposed to have. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Amen. Could you read that with me? Could you read that with me out loud? Uh, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. Begin. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Take a look at verse 16. 
And when we have known and believed the love that God hath to us, God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. See, since we as Bible-believing Christians affirm that, that God is love, we also must affirm that that same kind of love is to be in our own hearts, and it needs to be evidenced in all of our lives. Which really leads us to the next logical thought or point that there must be a difference between Christian giving and the world's giving. See, I, if you notice the point here, I made it the character of Christian giving. See, there's a difference between Christian giving and the way that the world gives. Christian giving is an expression. Listen, when you just gave, you, you know you gave a couple, uh, uh, in a couple things? This morning, so many times we think that uh, the only time that we're giving is giving in the offering, right? But do you realize that if you sung with your heart and your mind uh, 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 and your spirit lifted up to God, you gave praise, right? You gave praise to God. Amen. When we had our time of prayer, maybe you were praying at the same time. What did you do? You gave a prayer. You lifted up words to God. You gave something back. But when you give in the offering as well, what are you doing? You are expressing your love of God's worth in your life. You're expressing the worth of God in your life. See, Christian giving is an expression and an evidence of the indwelling love of God. So when you give, you're expressing and you're giving evidence to God's love. In our passage here in Luke chapter 6 and, and uh, verses 27 through 38, nine times uh, the, the verb loving or giving is used. And what we understand from that is that Jesus is stressing that the truth, the truth is, love is the beginning and ending of all Christian giving. I want you to write these down, if you will. What are some Christian characteristics of giving? Or how about this way? We'll bring it personally. What does Christian giving look like in my life? Or what should Christian giving look like in my life? If you're saying, okay, pastor, uh, I want to grow in grace. We're talking about growing in 2020. And the first thing we've started with is stewardship. And we've hit a lot of different areas of stewardship. Okay, we've looked, talked about priorities, talked about management. And, and now we're at this area of stewardship is giving. Okay, so how should, if I'm going to be the right type of Christian, I'm going to be a follower of Christ, how should Christian giving look in my life? Well, take a look here, letter A. Christian giving returns good for evil. Christian giving returns good for evil. You can see this in verses 27 through 30. Let's take a look there. But I say unto you, which here, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee. And of him that taketh away thy goods, 
Ask them not again. So Christian giving returns good for evil. I think that I could probably get a 100% vote on this. And that'd be pretty hard with a group this size to get a 100% vote. But I believe if I asked you this, everybody would agree with me. It's unnatural. It's unnatural. Don't get super spiritual on me now. Okay? It's unnatural to love your enemies. It's unnatural to love your enemies. But the Bible talks about two kinds of love. Love from the heart and love from the will. There's one that talks about this brotherly love from the heart. And this word is translated many times in the Bible as kindness. And this is a part of Christian love, but Christian love goes beyond that. Christian love goes beyond that. It goes to the agape love. And God wants us. You say, well, we're supposed to have this kind, the same kind of love that God had for us? Yes. Matter of fact, the scriptures say that when we get saved, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. It talks about the Holy Spirit, right? So we have the ability to demonstrate this unnatural ability to love our enemies. God wants us to demonstrate this agape love from the will. It's not natural to love your enemies from the heart. And we find that we do find it difficult to turn our hearts to those who have hurt us. So therefore, Pastor, how do I do this? How do I return good for evil? Christian love for an enemy must come from the will. That's very awkward for us to think that way, isn't it? It's hard for us to be able to think that way because we always expect it to be something emotional. We've been so programmed in our society that love is emotion. It's a feeling. It's a touch. It's, it's a sense. It's, does love have some of that? Yes, it does. But for us as brothers and sisters in Christ, those who would hate us because of the call... The, the cross of Christ, those who would hate us because of our stand and, and thinking that we may be intolerant, those who would uh, really want us to, to be removed from the face of the earth, we are to return their hatred with love. It's easy to love those who love you. That's not Christianity. Take a look at Romans chapter 5, if you would, please. Romans chapter 5. I want you to see this here. Romans chapter 5. And probably a verse that you, many of you may have memorized. Romans chapter 5. And verse 8. Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth or demonstrated... His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You've heard people say, well, I, I like to accept Christ, but I need to get my life straightened out. I need to get my life cleaned up. God didn't die for you 
when your life got all cleaned up. God died for you. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and for me. What? When we were deep in our sin. We were covered with sin. And he died for us. See, we were God's enemy. But God loved us in spite of being his enemy. Former American President Abraham Lincoln, in many ways, personified this, this aspect of Christian giving through loving. He was often criticized for his positive treatment of his sworn enemies. One of Lincoln's enemies once stated in print, he thought Lincoln was a mistake and the American public would live to regret placing such an obvious incompetent in the White House. The nature of the critics' attacks on Lincoln even degraded to the place where Lincoln's physical features were compared to those of a gorilla and the ape came out on top. Later, when war broke out between the states, Lincoln asked that critic, that same critic, to serve as his secretary of war. Lincoln's advisors were appalled with the president's actions. When they asked him why he would choose his critic for such an important post, he responded he thought Stalton was the best man for the job. When they advised him that he should seek to destroy his enemies rather than treat them like friends, he reminded them he was destroying his enemies when he made them his friends. Later, when Lincoln died, Stalton was standing at the president's bedside. As he watched Lincoln breathe his last breath, he uttered these words. There dies the greatest ruler of mankind the world has ever seen. See, folks, listen. We show our spiritual maturity by how we respond to those who have treated us wrongly. We show our spiritual maturity by how we respond to those who have treated us wrongfully. See, guess what? You're not a spiritual giant. You're not a spiritual giant. I'm not a spiritual giant because we love those who love us. I mean, we like to think good about ourselves. Man, I came in the church, and I just loved everybody. They loved me. Man, I'm feeling so good in Jesus today. This is just great, man. I, I'm growing in Jesus, and oh, this is just wonderful. And then you try and share the gospel with somebody, and they, they just cuss you up one side and down the other. You call you, you stinking holy roller. What's the matter with you, you Bible Bob? What, what's going on, you know? Jesus Joe, you've got to be kidding me. What are you? You're, you're a weirdo, man. Get, get out. Stop. You're a bunch of intolerant people. I can't believe. And that you find their lunch in the, the corporate refrigerator. You open it up, find their ham sandwich, and you offer them <laughs> a blessing. <laughs> Or what do you do? You say, you know what? That's fine. They've made their choice. They can die and go to hell. I'm never going to speak to them again. That lets you know if you're growing in Jesus or not. Not because you've come to this safe haven, this little bubble that we've got here where everybody's like, yeah, yeah, this is great, yeah. We all, we're all basically on the same page. We believe just about to say, amen, praise God. This doesn't show your spiritual maturity. 
Your spiritual maturity is shown out there when you face opposition. Your spiritual maturity in Christ, if you truly love God the way that you say that you love God, is shown out there. It's our Christian character to take adversity in a Christian spirit and return good for evil. See, self-sacrificing agape love from the will turns enemies into friends. It helps build hurting relationships. You've probably heard this before, but it's very true. Hurting people hurt people. How do you think that you're ever going to win them if when they have totally turned their back on you and treated you totally unkind? I'm not saying what they've done is right. But you know, your response over and over and over again may be the exact thing that they need to win them to Christ. You've heard people say, You may be the only Bible they ever read, or you may be the only Jesus they ever see. So then, what are you showing them of Jesus? See, giving, a Christian giving returns good for evil. This is spiritual maturity. Letter B, Christian giving elevates society. Christian giving elevates society. Uh, Take a look at verse 31. As ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Man, I asked to get that, uh, to get a new clock. Richard, I can't see that thing, man. I'm sorry. We'll have to get a different one. I got bifocals. And I... You say, everybody say, well, you got an Apple watch on. I can't believe you just said you got an Apple watch. Yeah, I do, but I don't want to go like this while I'm preaching. Oh, I better hurry up. You know, I got seven minutes and I got seven more points. (laughs) Christian giving elevates society. Look at verse 31. And And as ye would that men should do to you, do you also to them likewise. Side note here, I really appreciate Richard doing that for me. I asked him to do it. I asked him to get that color. You know what? He did it. He got it immediately for me and put it up to be able to help me get the gospel out. Make sure that that's a wonderful thing. I appreciate that. When we give to society, society becomes, when we give, I should say, Society becomes a better place. You say, whoa, wait a second. When we give, society becomes a better place? Think about this. When we give to the local church, the gospel goes out locally to influence people to salvation. Isn't that making society better? (laughs) I mean, I, I like our program of turning society around a whole lot better than the government's program. Theirs is all behavior modification. And I'm thankful for what the government does. I'm not, I'm not disparaging what the government does. But, but for a lack of better terms, we got a better product. Amen. See, so when we give to the local church, the gospel goes out locally to influence people to salvation. 
it elevates society. When we give to missions, we are helping others in a distant land to know the gospel and have their lives changed. Society becomes a better place when we give. In this portion of Scripture, we've all heard that we should always treat others the way that we want to be treated. One Jewish rabbi said, he said it this way, What is hateful to thee, do not to another. An Alexandrian philosopher said, What you hate to suffer, do not do to any, anyone else. Socrates said it this way, What things make you angry when you suffer them at the hands of others, do not do to those other people. The Stoics declared it this way, What you do not wish to be done to yourself, do not do to anyone else. Confucius said it this way, What you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. While every religion has their golden rule, Jesus is the only one that said it in a positive way. Take a look at verse 31. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. The golden rule is taught by Jesus Christ himself is the healer of wrong relationships. Christian giving elevates society. I want you to think about this. How do we treat others? How, how do you treat others? See, but this is the way we want others to treat us. We want other people to give us the benefit of the doubt. We want, the other, we want others to think the best of us. But how do we treat others? We want people to give us another opportunity to do better. What are we saying? Give me another chance. But how do we treat others? We want people to admit that they make mistakes. Say, what are you saying there? We want, we want other people to know, we want other people to admit that they're human like we are. But how do we treat others? See, we want people to treat us that way, but then the question is, how are we treating others? The Bible says, and as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. See, stewardship is giving, and its foundation is love. Let me ask you something. What type of giver are you? You non-giver? You a first-time giver? You regular giver? You tither? Or are you an extravagant giver? See, because this all ties in together. You say, how does this tie in? I'm going to wrap it up here. Take a look at verse 38. Because this is all in the same context. Because verse 39 is really the break in the next thought. It says, and he spake a parable unto them. But take a look at verse 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Jesus is taking some, he's giving us a couple different principles here. 
He's talking to us about the character of Christian giving, and he brings it into everyday life. Return evil for, uh, return evil for good. Christian giving elevates society. And then he sums it all up in verse 38. He says, look, I've given you these these physical ways to understand what I'm talking about. I, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching you, uh, giving you something concrete for you to be able to hold on to because the way that you give is the way that you'll receive blessing from me. So listen, the way that you treat others is the way that you'll be treated. Verse 38 is part of that context now. You refuse to give to be able to help elevate society? No wonder your own personal life's not being elevated. See, there's this overarching principle. Yes, stewardship is giving, but then Jesus takes some concrete ways to show us how life is really worked out. Let me ask you, what type of giver are you? Because giving is stewardship and its foundation is love. And you will never be able to be the right type of Christian giver if you first don't know the ultimate giver. Jesus Christ. This morning, you may not know Christ, your personal Savior. I would like to give to you the wonderful opportunity of having your life changed and changed forever. Now, I didn't say having an easy life. I didn't say having a perfect life. I didn't say having a life with no worries or no pain. You say, well, then why should I accept Jesus? Because he'll take the burden of sin away from you. He'll cleanse you forever. No more having to live underneath the guilt of what I did last night, what I did last week. You'll have a relationship with God, the creator. Oh, and by the way, though this life won't be perfect, your next will every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I thank you for you sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, to giving us salvation. And Lord, I pray that you would help us all this morning to evaluate our lives of what type of giver we are. And Lord, I ask that if there is any in here this morning that does not know you, that they would come to know you, that they would take the offer, this free gift of salvation.